we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. It is so good to be back with you in 4th Street Crossing. I've been out for two weeks. Well, I've, I've been here. I just haven't been preaching here. So it is so good to be back with you. I'm Danny Panter, one of the associate pastors here on staff at First Baptist Church and the preaching pastor here in Lagos. If you're new with us, thank you so much for being here. Let us know that you're here. You can go uh, right now on your device to fbcsa.org connect. Just a very simple way to say, hey, I worshiped with you today, and then we'd love to connect with you at a later time. Um, man, goodness, it is so good. We have um, been walking through Judges, and uh, now we are in week three in the, not Judges, gosh, y'all were like, where has he been? <laughs> James, why didn't anyone tell me that I said Judges? We've been in James for the past three weeks, and we are about to wrap up um, chapter one. But let me tell you, um, this week I have actually gone back to verse one. So if you just allow me just for a few moments to talk about verse one. I don't know about you, um, in, in my family, every so often I'll have conversations uh, with my girls or one of my girls about, you know, Dad, how do we know that Jesus is who he says he is? Uh, how, how do we know this is real history and that things really happen, that he's really the son of God? You know, Dad, I, I have friends that believe different things. How do we know this isn't a, a fairy tale? And um, by the way, those are great conversations to have with kiddos. Um, I hope you welcome those kind of questions. Um, and it's okay sometimes to say, I, I don't know. Let me talk to someone or do some reading before I answer that. It's absolutely okay to say that, but be open to those kind of great, tough conversations. Um, we want our families, our kids to anchor in Jesus, and that will manifest itself over time as we have real, raw, authentic conversations about faith in Jesus. But in those conversations, often I'll talk about how Paul came to know Christ, right? Um, man, he was a persecutor of the church. He didn't want anything to do with Jesus. He, he was thrilled to see Jesus die on the cross. In fact, he saw Stephen, one of the apostles, die, and he clapped when it happened. And yet, Jesus uh, intervened in his life, and he came to faith in Jesus. Man, that's, that's kind of a powerful historical proof that Paul went from here to then is putting his faith in Jesus, I talked about Thomas who had real questions about faith, right? Did Jesus really die, arise from the grave? And he said, I'm gonna have to put my hand and fingers in his hands and in his side only until then, until I know have empirical evidence am I going to believe. And Jesus said, hey, come. Jesus didn't push him away. He said, come, touch me so that you may believe. And then Jesus said, bless everyone who believes who have not seen. That includes us and includes our kids. But this week, 
I have, God took me back to verse one of James. And let me read this to you. And I hope that you see this just as startling as I do. Now remember, James is the brother of Jesus. Uh, he grew up with Jesus. Uh, he, he saw Jesus. I don't know when James came along and how old Jesus was when James came along, but no one knows Jesus up close the way that James knows Jesus, right? He probably went with him every year once they hit 12 years old, both were 12. Every year they probably traveled together um, to, uh, to Jerusalem together, that great pilgrimage. I mean, they probably sat in the back seat together on their pilgrimage, right? He knew his brother, what his brother was like. But let's read this verse. This is verse one. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. At some point in James's life and heart, he transitioned from brother who I doubted was everything he claimed to be to slave, to Jesus. How in the world did that happen? And um, I just wanna share with you a few things that I jotted down this past week as I was thinking about how do I come back to a conversation with my kids about faith in Jesus. And so students, I want you to know that I'm keenly aware that you guys are facing questions and you have students around you that believe a lot of different things and um, it's okay to ask tough questions, but I want you to know that you can have confidence in Jesus and James gives us every good reason to believe that Jesus is who he said he was. James knew Jesus up close. He knew little boy Jesus, he knew grown up Jesus, he knew miracle working Jesus, preaching Jesus. And here we find in verse one that James calls Jesus his master. I know where you kids are. I know the questions of, that you are facing. I know that you have friends that don't believe in Jesus, but we can have confidence in who Jesus is. If anyone could have had any reason to doubt who Jesus was or what he had done, it would have been his little brother, James. Of all people, James would have known if Jesus was a fake, right? James would have known that Jesus was a fake, that it didn't add up to he declaring himself the son of God and righteous when if Jesus had punched him in the arm when they were traveling to Jerusalem in the back seat, or if Jesus had called him names or put his brother down, James would have said, it doesn't add up. My brother's a charlatan. But no, that's not what happened at all. What we determine is that once he saw his brother, he could not deny what he had been resisting the whole time. That my big brother is every as bit as much as he declared himself to be. Because he rose from the grave. James believed that his brother was the son of God, the savior of the world. And James calls himself slave to Jesus because he was held captive by the reality of his son. We can bank on that. We can bank on that. Just another word of confidence um, that I've been thinking about over this week. But that's not where we are today. 
We're going to be in verses 19 through 21. So let's stand together and read these verses with one another. We're going to talk about anger. Just those three verses, let's read this together. Understand this, my brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. You may be seated. Father, thank you so much for your spirit's work through your word. So help us to see your son Jesus, hear his words from Pastor James and help us to obey. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. So throughout the book of James, um, PJ or Pastor James gives us a lot of different commands that we've got to live this kind of way. And these verses, he's doing just that. He is commanding us in in a very important area in our life that is incredibly relevant right now, isn't it? Our world is always, or it seems like it's always teetering on the edge of explosive anger. It's like all of us, in varying degrees, always have our finger on that proverbial trigger, just ready to go. This word is for us. And it's not surprising that this word in verses 19 through 21 come right after his teaching about when he says, let me tell you where your temptation comes from. It comes from your own heart. And so if we put these two together, it's almost like James is saying, ungodly, man-centered anger erupts out of the temptation of an, from an evil heart, right? We can connect those two. That's no surprise. But here's what James says in his commands. These aren't suggestions. He says, be quick to listen. Uh, James says, I want your default setting to be a listener, uh, someone who is constantly seeking understanding in the world in which they live, especially with the people around which you live. Uh, in other words, be that kind of person whose default setting is to really seek and understand people, right? So he says, be quick to listen. And then he says, be slow to speak. And James is commanding us, listen, if, if you are uh, quick to listen, uh, then odds are you're going to be slow to speak. But I want you to be slow to speak. He says, I don't want you to draw any fast conclusions. I don't want you to rush to conclusions about something you've perceived or heard from someone or seen something happen or see someone do. Do not rush to conclusions. I mean, isn't it pretty apparent That if we just did those two things, probably 90% of the anger that we feel in response to things around us would probably just wash away. If we would just slow down, if we would just listen and seek understanding, much of the anger that can erupt out of our heart would probably dissipate pretty quickly. I've been married close to 20 years, and if I've learned anything and, and I'm not an outburst kind of anger person. Obviously, I do get angry. All of us get angry and are frustrated. Um, but I have learned, even in the way that I handle my own anger, don't respond in the moment. 
because I can't trust uh, this emotion of anger in my heart. And if I speak in that moment, usually it will come out all kinds of wrong, draw all kinds of wrong conclusions about the person or about Anna or anyone else. But if I slow down, usually, this is what I've learned, when I wake up the next morning, I realize, gosh, that thing I made out to be such a big deal just shrunk back down to size. It wasn't that big deal at all. So I feel like if we just, if we just obeyed James, Pastor James, in those first two things, much of the anger that we wrestle with would just evaporate. It would shrink down to size. And we would pause long enough to say, you know what? I think I can deal with that in the right way, the right way. But he doesn't stop there. He then goes on to say, be slow to anger. These are all connected. A person's whose default setting is to listen, a person who seeks understanding, a person who doesn't jump to conclusions or gives that other person the benefit of the doubt, uh, is the same kind of person that takes, uh, it takes a long time for them to actually get angry because they slow things down. James really is asking us to be a different kind of person than the kind of person that we see a lot in our world and that we even experience in our own life when we wrestle with anger. So what kind of person would we describe that PJ wants us to be? He wants us to be the kind of person that brings peace whenever we enter the room, right? Uh, he wants us to be that kind of person that when people see us enter the room, there's a sigh of relief. <sighs> a person that brings unity, a person that brings peace. Even when we have every justifiable reason to be angry, this kind of person is a peacemaker. Peacemaker. Um, Ephesians 4.32 says this. Uh, instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. That's the kind of person that Pastor James wants us to be. He says, I want you to slow down. I want your default setting to be seeking understanding. I want you to be slow to become angry. And instead, I, I want you to be kind to one another. I, I want you to be tender-hearted and forgiving of one another. That's the kind of person that James would have us be. But James goes on in verse 20. He says, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Now, typically, a person who rushes into anger is rarely actually thinking about the consequences on the other side of that outburst or action or words. They very literally speak before they think, right? It just comes out because they're hot, mad. But Pastor James wants us to know that the consequences of that kind of human anger or man's anger doesn't produce the kind of fruit that we would want uh, in our life. PJ, Pastor James, qualifies the anger. He says, I'm talking about human anger here. I'm not talking about righteous indignation. I'm not talking about God-centered anger. I I'm talking about man-centered anger. Uh, 
Pastor James is distinguished between, between godly anger and that self-centered anger. After all, we know that Jesus got angry several times in the New Testament. James is not talking about that kind of anger. That's, a, that's another sermon. There is a time and a place to be angry and to move on that anger, but that's not what James is talking about. When we do see Jesus get angry and take steps in his anger, it's never because of personal offense. It's never because his feelings were hurt. His anger always is father-centered or other-centered. His anger has always been to remove obstruction so people can see and know him and love his father. It was never about personal attack or personal offense. And so that's not the kind of anger James is talking about. He is talking about that self-centered, self-asserting, self-exalting, prideful, careless, unpredictable kind of anger. That's what he's referring to. And he very simply says, this kind of anger does not yield righteous fruit. Remember, if we go back to verses two through four, James has said, your life's going to be hard. You're going to face all kinds of troubles and tribulations. And those times, there's an opportunity in your faith as you hold on to Jesus for God to stretch you, strengthen you, and make you complete and lacking in nothing. That's the kind of fruit that James says, I want to see take shape in your life. And the anger that we experience often enough is an opportunity for God to shape and bend us and shape us into someone who is complete lacking and nothing. But if we don't, James says, if you just have that man-centered, self-centered, self-asserting kind of anger, it does not produce good fruit. It does not produce the kind of fruit that God desires. There's a whole host of verses in uh, the Bible about anger. I just want to refer to a few of these that highlight the results of anger. If you go to the Proverbs, there are tons. Uh, Proverbs 14, uh, Proverbs 14, 9. Let me just read this. Make sure I have that verse right. Proverbs 14, 29. A lot of verses about anger. People with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. A hot temper is foolish, and the fruit of a hot temper often is foolishness. If we go to uh, Proverbs 15, 18, literally on the same page, probably in most Bibles, it says, a hot-tempered person starts fights. A cool-tempered person stops them. Unrighteous fruit, it doesn't end up where we really want it, wanting it to go. Um, chapter 22 um, verse 24 of Proverbs uh, says this, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people. Uh, the proverb says the fruit of a hot-tempered person is loneliness and isolation. And that's not what most people long for or the fruit that they want to bear in their life. So the question for us is, is thinking about fruit. Do you want to know if you have an anger problem? Or when anger explodes upon the scene in your own life, what kind of fruit does it bear? Just a few litmus tests to determine what kind of anger you have. 
Does your anger result in words that hurt and discourage others? That overflow of that hot temper, does it, does it spew hurtful words? Ephesians 4.29, um, Paul says, be careful with those words that come out of your mouth. Be careful with those words that come out of your mouth. Uh, don't, don't destroy people with your words. Is your anger unpredictable? Uh, do family and friends never know what kind of person they're going to get? Um, this is particularly so relevant for moms and dads. Are your kiddos uncertain about the mom or dad who's about to walk through that door? Are they going to get an angry mom or dad? Or peaceful mom and dad? You know, in, uh, throughout history, there have been various military uh, practices and that included laying mines across open fields, right? And the idea behind it was is that uh, an advancing army unknowingly would walk across an open field and set off mines and would just destroy everyone in the vicinity. But the, the, the problem with today is, is you have still active minefields throughout the world and you can stumble upon this open, beautiful, pristine field that looks like one you would love to walk in and walk through and meander, but if you pull back from that scene in a minefield, you'll see a sign that says, danger. Watch out for the minefield. Are you unpredictable? Are you on the surface, you look like that pristine open field, but the people that know you and your family have to walk and tiptoe around you because they don't know what they might set off next. You might have an issue or struggle with anger if that's the case. And you might need to ask your kids, is that how you feel with me? Does your anger separate and isolate? Uh, does your family want to be around you? Or do they go to the rooms? That kind of anger always results in separation and isolation. The anger often is an attempt to control a situation because of personal offense or something, and we want to pull people in, but the result of that often enough is people getting out of our way if they can. And the reverse, does that kind of anger in your life, does it result in unity and bring peace or disruption and fear? And we could go down a huge long list, but the last one is this. After you have that outburst of anger, do you feel regret and shame or confidence? That's exactly what I needed to do. If you feel shame and regret, it's likely because you needed to feel shame and regret. Uh, that's the fruit of man-centered, woman-centered anger is shame and regret because we let those words fly out of our mouth so quickly. We took offense to things that we should never have taken offense to. If we just slowed down long enough and sought understanding and realized, that's not what they meant to do. That's not what they were trying to say. But when we spew and overflow in an outburst of anger, it 
If we're honest with ourselves and we step back from that moment and we cool down, there's always usually a lot of shame. That's not the fruit that James wants for you to have in your life. So what's James's solution? What's James's solution for us? Uh, very quickly in this last verse, he says this. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. Charles Spurgeon, that, that prince of pre preachers in London, England said this, do not say I cannot help having a bad temper. Friend, you must help it. Pray to God to help you overcome it at once for either you must kill it or it will kill you. You cannot carry a bad temper into heaven. Uh, Psalm 37, eight says, stop being so angry. Uh, turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to unrighteous fruit. It only leads to harm. And so James and Charles Spurgeon and the, the writer of the Psalm says, you've got to get a handle on this. You've got to stop being so angry. But how do we do that? How do we do that? James, Pastor James says, well, you've got to get honest and real and get rid of all the other evil and filth in your heart. Paul will echo this, and we've already read this in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 31. Let me read it again. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Uh, both James and Paul make this link that your anger doesn't function in isolation or in a vacuum. It's connected to a whole world of evil in our heart. That's what James is gonna talk about, the tongue in chapter three. He says, I want you to know that the world, the, the, your tongue is connected to a whole world of evil in the human heart. And James says this, if you wanna get a handle on your anger, then you've gotta be honest about the other evil, the other sin in your life, and you've gotta to go to war against that sin. You've gotta get rid of it. You've got to get rid of it. Don't say, well, I, I, you know, I just struggle with anger. James would say, no, you don't just struggle with anger. Uh, you struggle with, with greed and lust and seeking for control and manipulation and, and all these other hosts of things. And you've got to, by the grace of God, learn to knock those out. Because it's all connected and feeds upon one another. That's what James and Paul will both say. Paul would say later that you're gonna to have to put those kind of things to death by the power of the Spirit. Sometimes even, listen to me, sometimes even the anger that you wrestle with is connected not necessarily to your own personal sin, but someone's sin who has sinned against you, someone else's sin. And we've got to learn to wrestle with that. Some of us just have mirrored what we've seen our parents do as they modeled for us growing up. We walked into a minefield growing up in our homes, and that's what it's just become in our home. 
And Pastor James would say, gosh, you have to, have to learn how to un, unpack those things and put those things down by the, by the power of the Spirit of God so that you can be the kind of righteous bearing fruit father or mother that you need to be at home. Uh, sometimes we've got to deal with the past sins of others in order to deal with our sin now. It's not everybody's fault. But sometimes we're carrying the baggage that affects our own families, our friends. We've got to deal with that. James would say, deal with that world of evil. Get honest with that stuff. And secondly, and these are connected, the only way that we can deal with that kind of wickedness in our own heart is to go back to the word you receive. What did he say? Humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. James is saying if we want to, as a church, learn how to wrestle and deal with our ungodly, man-centered anger, then that we have to get back to the very word that we've received in Jesus. James is saying, you, you, can't, you don't outlive the gospel in your life. You've got to get back to the gospel every single day because it's, it's only in Jesus, in the gospel. When I say the gospel, knowing that Jesus bore the brunt of our sin on the cross so that we could know forgiveness and restoration. James says, if you want to deal with your sin, you've got to get back to the cross. You've got to get back to the cross. You have to understand that you have been the beneficiary of extraordinary forgiveness. Of all people, every person born on this planet is worthy of the righteous anger of God. We are worthy of an outburst of anger from the Lord that says, you don't deserve me. But what did Jesus say on the cross when he was being crucified? Jesus had every right to be angry in that moment. He said, Father, what? Say it. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. When Jesus was in the garden before he was betrayed and those soldiers rushed in, being identified by Judas, and they began to carry Jesus away, and Peter, in his righteous anger, Peter had every right to be angry in that moment. And he pulled that sword and he cut that ear off, and Jesus said, no, we're not going to do it like this. We're not going to be overcome by our anger. But we're going to conquer through forgiveness. Ephesians, let me just say this again. Paul's going to say the same thing. Rather than rage and anger and harsh words and slander, Paul says, instead, be kind each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. The linchpin to overcome anger in our life is to fully embrace the forgiveness of God, is 
to be overwhelmed by it, to understand it, to embrace it in all that it means for us, that I am forgiven in Christ. It's only in that place that whether that person deserves your anger or doesn't deserve your anger, you're able to say, in the same way that Christ has forgiven me, I can forgive them. In the same way that Christ has forgiven me, I can extend grace. I'm going to entrust my anger to the Lord. And if that person has really offended me, I'm gonna trust that to the Lord. And rather than anger, I'm gonna bestow forgiveness and tenderness and mercy towards them and compassion. In the same way that Jesus did it on the cross. Listen to this quotation. This is by another famous English preacher, Friedrich Robertson. He said, we win by tenderness. So much of our anger is about winning, isn't it? He says, I want you to know we win by tenderness. We conquer by forgiveness. What our world needs most is not an angry church, but a tender one. What your family and your friends need most is not this angry, unpredictable person, but a forgiving one. And it's in that place of forgiveness and tenderness that we begin to bear the fruit of righteousness. Peace, unity, joy. That's how Jesus won. That's how Jesus is conquering and winning, is through tenderness and forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, help us to be those kind of people. Lord, none of us in this room, I, none of us in this room want the fruit of unrighteousness in our life because of our uncontrollable anger. And so, Lord, we ask by the power of your spirit for you to identify those other places of wickedness in our life. All of us have it. And Lord, help us to lay those things down at the feet of your son through whom we have forgiveness so that we can be overwhelmed by the beauty and joy and that forgiveness and begin to extend that to our spouses and our children and uh, people that we encounter between point A and point B and the things that we see online and the world in which we live. Help us to entrust our anger to you and help us to be the kind of church that is tender and forgiving, just like your son. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people say, amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.